You may be seated. Good morning. I am excited about this morning. I'm excited to be able to get to share. Uh, although Psalms is not necessarily my forte when it comes to speaking, I was telling Ross Elliott before the service that, and he said, well, good, then you'll be uncomfortable, which is right where God wants you. So may God be with uh, the teaching of his word this morning. I wanted to ask you this morning, have you ever been blamed for something that you didn't do? Maybe treated unjustly because of your beliefs or had lies spread about you despite your efforts to do what was right. Maybe a boss who treated you with unfairness at work. Maybe a coworker who lied about you to others for their own gain. Maybe somebody who you considered a friend spread rumors about you. Worst of all, sometimes it may be a family member who betrayed you with something they said. The pain from false accusations and hurtful words can run deep. It can last a long time if we hold on to it in our hearts. So as I thought about what the Lord wanted me to share this morning, I kind of kept coming back to what I've used the Psalms for in my life. And that's always been a way to find comfort in the midst of persecution. I use the term persecution lightly. I'm just kind of talking this morning about other people being unfair to us. Maybe that is because of our beliefs. Maybe that's just because of the way we act. Maybe it's because of other things that we'll talk about this morning. But I want to look at this this morning because, you know, when I was in junior high growing up, as a little background, I had been um, homeschooled in elementary. And in junior high, I started a typical school. I already had thin skin, and I had zero experience dealing with the social hierarchy that most kids already understand by middle school. I think I also came across as a bit of a goody-two-shoes because I was really trying hard to live out my Christian faith through the way I acted. Um, And when you try extra hard to do that and you're in junior high, it doesn't come across well. Needless to say, I quickly found myself on the receiving end of countless rumors, nonstop teasing, and even sometimes physical attacks. And sadly, it was a private Christian school, too, Um, unfortunately. But, you know, not being accepted by others was hard for me to process, being made fun of for no reason, Um, hearing some of the baseless rumors that were spread about me. It was really overwhelming at that age. During those years up through high school, honestly, where I was kind of struggling with processing that lack of acceptance, that sometimes outward malicious rumors that were spread, I just kept turning to the Psalms. I'd look for the Psalms to provide peace and guidance, especially as I observed how David leaned on God during his hard times. I'd take comfort in seeing how David praised God while struggling with similar situations to what I was feeling. So I don't know about you. Maybe it's been a long time since somebody treated you unfairly or a long time since they hurt you with lies or took advantage of you. On the other hand, maybe it's something you're dealing with right now. Perhaps this will be uh, useful as you go through that. Either way, I hope that together we can gain some insight from David as we look at Psalm 57 this morning. If you don't mind, let's just stand. We're going to read it through once, and then we'll jump into it. So... Turn to Psalm 57 and stand with me, 
And let's read. Be gracious to me, O God, be gracious to me, for my soul takes refuge in you, and in the shadow of your wings I will take refuge until destruction passes by. I will cry to God most high, to God who accomplishes all things for me. He will send from heaven and save me. He reproaches him who tramples upon me. God will send forth his loving kindness and his truth. My soul is among lions. I must lie among those who breathe forth fire. Even the sons of men whose teeth are spears and arrows and their tongue a sharp sword. Be exalted above the heavens, O God. Let your glory be above all the earth. They have prepared a net for my steps. My soul is bowed down. They dug a pit before me. They themselves have fallen into the midst of it. My heart is steadfast, O God. My heart is steadfast. I will sing. Yes, I will sing praises. Awake, my glory. Awake, harp and lyre. I will awaken the dawn. I will give thanks to you, O Lord, among the peoples. I will sing praises to you among the nations. For your loving kindness is great to the heavens and your truth to the clouds. Be exalted above the heavens, O God. Let your glory be above all the earth. Lord God, this morning I pray that you will um, help us as we try to extract some of the words from this Psalm of David and that you would make it applicable to our lives but that you would also help us to see your glory and majesty through all of it. In your name we pray, amen. You may be seated. So the first thing to kind of look at with this psalm, now that we've read it once through, is what's the setting? Uh, If your Bible has some of the footnotes with it, you might see that it says, uh, it's for the choir director, set to the tune of a song which we don't know now, a miktam of David, um, some sort of, of musical type prose. And it says, it happened when he fled from Saul in the cave. So that's kind of the critical piece here. It gives us the setting and the context so that we can understand what he's writing. Of course, looking at the time of David and Saul, we need to go back to 1 Samuel. This is where we have the famous story of David and Goliath, of course. We don't know how old he was. Um, Some say maybe 12 to 15. Some say 16 to 18. We know he was under the age of 20 um, by a lot of references about how old he would have had to been to serve. So he was a young guy. And he obviously, according to the scripture, didn't look the part, but he was successful. God was with him and gave him success in everything he did. So after he defeats Goliath, um, he actually began to rise in ranks as a military leader in Saul's army. And just like with Goliath, God blessed everything he did. He was extremely successful. Every time he went out and battled the Philistines, he was successful, and God granted him victory. So let me go back, and you're welcome to turn with me. We're going to look at 1 Samuel 18, 5 through 9, as we kind of set this scene says, so David went out wherever Saul sent him and prospered. And Saul set him over the men of war. And it was pleasing in the sight of all the people and also in the sight of Saul's servants. So everybody loves David, hands down. It happened as they were coming, when David returned from killing the Philistine, that the women came out of all the cities of Israel, singing and dancing to meet King Saul 
with tambourines, with joy and with musical instruments. Notice, they came out to meet King Saul, but listen to what they sing. The women sang as they played and said, Saul has slain his thousands and David his ten thousands. Then Saul became very angry, for this saying displeased him. And he said, they have ascribed to David ten thousands, but to me they have ascribed only thousands. Now what more can he have but the kingdom? In other words, he's already got everybody's praise, everybody's affirmation. Um, He's probably on track to take over my throne. Saul looked at David with suspicion from that day on. You know, jealousy is often the root cause of most of the personal attacks that we face. Whether it's work or family or friends, um, people will look at our lives, maybe what God has blessed us with, maybe just with the peace and wisdom. Um, Sarah and I are constantly feeling this when we feel like our life is chaos. And then we find somebody will admit to us, oh, I'm so jealous of your life. Like, you really? You want to come see what my life is like? I don't know if you would be jealous of it. It's not easy wrangling six kids. Um, it's not easy, the stuff that we're, we're going through with, with medical needs with the kids. But um, for whatever reason, I think when God blesses his children, the world sees that. They see that there's something special, that there's a peace and a joy amongst his believers. And so as a believer, maybe that's something you've dealt with in the past, is just for no knowledge of your own um, wisdom, people seem to be jealous uh, because they see the Lord at work in you. So Saul was obviously jealous of David. And as David's military and political success continued, Saul's envy grew exponentially. In addition, David was the chosen one to lead Israel. If we look at Samuel 18, 12 through 16, it says, Now Saul was afraid of David, for the Lord was with him, but had departed from Saul. Therefore Saul removed him from his presence and appointed him as a commander of a thousand, and he went out and came in before the people. David was prospering in all his ways, for the Lord was with him. When Saul saw that he was prospering greatly, he dreaded him. So not only jealousy, he's actually afraid. He's afraid because he know God, knows God is good. He probably knows that David is going to take him over, and it scares him. But all Israel and Judah loved David, and he went out and came in before them. And then jumping down to 29, it says, Then Saul was even more afraid of David. Thus Saul was David's enemy continually. Then the commanders of the Philistines went out to battle, and it happened as often as they went out that David, and this is important, David behaved himself more wisely than all the servants of Saul. So his name was highly esteemed. And thus begins the epic conflict. David, the future king of Israel, is forced to flee for his life and spend years running from Saul and his men as they try and kill him without reason. In chapter 24, we find David and some of his men hiding in a cave. Uh, Somebody had apparently tipped off Saul about where he was, the general vicinity. And so Saul arrives on the scene with 3,000 soldiers looking with orders to kill him as soon as they find him. So with that scene set, let's go back and walk through Psalm 57, verse by verse. Let's see what we can learn. I don't know if you're the type to take notes in the the sidelines of your Bible, but feel free to jot down some of the things that we discuss. We're going to basically look at each of these passages 
and study how David responded in the midst of fear, in the midst of persecution, in the midst of these unfounded accusations. Basically, Saul uh, condemned him to death because what? David was blessed by the Lord. David was wise. David was doing everything he should. So, starting in verse 1, it says, Be gracious to me, O God, be gracious to me, for my soul takes refuge in you, and in the shadow of your wings I will take refuge until destruction passes by. This first verse is supplication. And if you want to note that down, you're welcome to. It's David pleading to God for his safety. In times of trial, stating our needs to God through prayer is one of the first steps. Um, in fact, when I was in junior high, back to, to my childhood for some reason, um, I just, this, is, this was an important thing I learned. Somebody taught me one time uh, the acronym ACTS, that when you're praying, it's important to remember A for adoration, C for confession of your sins, T for thanksgiving for what God has done, and finally, supplication, explaining to God what it is you're seeking, what are you going through, what do you need. So David, in this model, in verse 1, he was using supplication before the Lord, basically saying, save me, let me take refuge in you. All right, moving on to verse 2, he says, I will cry to God most high, to God who accomplishes all things for me. He will send from heaven and save me. He reproaches him who tramples upon me. God will send forth his loving kindness and his truth. So here, the example that David gives us, and I'm kind of stealing this term from Craig. Uh, last summer, he talked about preaching the truth to yourself. And that's what I see David doing here. He's preaching the truths of God to himself. For some reason, that word preaching it to yourself, it just has more impact in my mind. You can recite scripture. You can, you can think about and meditate on it. But when you're preaching it to yourself, it's kind of like you're saying, look, I know I'm not in a state of kind of just understanding, so I'm just going to have to like pound it in, pound it into my head over and over again. This is what God says. This is what his word promises. So David was preaching the truths of God to himself. He, if we read this again, he accomplishes all things, David says. He sends from heaven to save, David says. He reproaches those who trample on us, David reminds himself. And he will show his loving kindness and truth. That's pretty comforting to think. You know, if you turn over to Psalm 27, a little bit past what JP read this morning, there's another little passage there that just sticks out to me as we're looking at this. Psalm 27, 13, David says, I would have despaired unless I had believed that I would see the goodness of the Lord in the land of the living. Here David tells us the result of remembering God's truths. We need to continually remind ourselves about those truths of God. It is essential during any trial or struggle. Going on to verse 4 in chapter 57. Here's what he says. My soul is among lions. I must lie among those who breathe forth fire. Not talking about dragons here. This is kind of literary. Breathe forth fire. Their words are evil. Even the sons of men whose teeth are spears and arrows and their tongue a sharp sword. 
He's already asked God for what he wants. We talked about supplication. But here in verse 4, he's basically just laying out the problem before God. You know, God wants us to share our thoughts and struggles with him. He's a good God. He's like our father, of course, Abba Father. Um, I would go to my dad. I didn't have a close emotional relationship with him necessarily, but still, if my car's broken, I'm going to go to him and tell him what's the problem. Here's what's going on, Dad. If I've got a problem in life, finances, or, you know, trying to figure out what decisions to make, um, let me explain the problem to you, Dad. What do you think? So here David is laying out the problem before God. And of course, God is all-knowing. God is omniscient. But I think that David's conversation with God is a great example to follow, that when we are struggling, it helps maybe not God to know what's going on. Of course, he knows. It helps us to kind of work through it and talk through it. And God loves to have that constant conversation with us. You know, also in Psalm 69.4, we also read some similar passages to this. He says, those who hate me without cause are more than the hairs on my head. And again, in Psalm 27, 12, right before the verse we just read, he says, false witnesses have risen around me and such as breathe out violence. So he continually shows us, David, in the Psalms, that it's important to talk through what's going on, that God wants to hear that. He wants to know what we're struggling with. All right, moving on to verse 5 and 6. Be exalted above the heavens, O God. Let your glory be above all the earth. They have prepared a net for my steps. My soul is bowed down. They dug a pit before me. They themselves have fallen into the midst of it. If you're jotting the notes down in the margin here, the one thing I would say is that this passage shows us that it's important to acknowledge God's attribute of justice. We can't forget that fact. In fact, David's kind of almost prophetic here because has Saul and his men fallen into the pit that they dug for themselves yet? No. We go on to find that things only get worse for Saul, and he eventually, uh, he eventually takes his own life. He's created such this, this chaotic scene that he has no choice. So David's kind of prophesying about what will happen, but at the same time, he's acknowledging God's attribute of justice. I think we forget that in the midst of trials sometimes when life feels unfair, when, when people's actions or words feel so hurtful, so unfair. We forget God is just. His timing is not the same as ours. That's what David's struggling with. God is not taking away the threat in the moment. But eventually, will God's justice reign supreme? Yeah. And David is acknowledging that fact. He knows it's true. Kind of going back to that thing of preaching the truths to himself. Verse 7 through 11. He says, My heart is steadfast, O God. My heart is steadfast. I will sing. Yes, I will sing praises. Awake, my glory. Awake, harp and lyre. I will awaken the dawn. I will give thanks to you, O Lord, among the peoples. I will sing praises to you among the nations. For your loving kindness is great to the heavens and your truth to the clouds. Be exalted above the heavens, O God. Let your glory be above all the earth. 
the main example that we get in this last passage of this chapter of Psalms from David is to praise God in the midst of our trials. Never stop praising Him for His goodness. Do we remember to praise God no matter what we're going through? I don't know about you, but that's a struggle for me a lot. It's a struggle to think about God's goodness when I'm feeling the weight of the world on my shoulders. You know, praise to our Savior can be a variety of forms. Uh, reciting scripture, journaling, um, just, just praying and thanking God for his goodness. I'm a creative type by nature, and for me, I love the fact that this psalm is set to music. Now, we don't know what the music was. Unfortunately, they didn't have uh, MP3 players and recording equipment back then, but we know that it was set to music from what the notes say before the psalm starts. So that makes me think, what songs can I sing that can bring praise into my mind and can push out those feelings of injustice, those feelings of, of hurt and unfairness? Uh, you know, what's another time in the Bible that we saw people singing when they were unjustly accused? You remember Paul and Silas in prison? The first thing they did was sing hymns to God about his faithfulness. It's in Acts 16.25 if you want to look it up. Sarah and I have had the pleasure of getting to meet uh, Johnny Erickson Todd a few times. And it's funny if you've ever seen her speak in person, uh, she just breaks into song. I thought that was kind of just a thing that she practiced and planned ahead of time in her messages. No, in real life, that's how she is. She just starts singing in the middle of a conversation uh, because she knows that God's faithfulness is so good. And in the midst of her pain and struggles with cancer these days, um, she'll just break out in song um, in the hospital when she's in a waiting room for the doctor. And it's, in my mind, it'd be kind of awkward, but, you know, the joy is in her heart and she expresses that to God through song. I've always struggled myself with reciting, with memorizing scripture. I know the truths. I know what it says. I struggle with the exact order of the words and the references. Um, my brain has always struggled with memorizing things in general. And so early on, I started learning songs that were scripture-based. One of my favorite songs is I Cry Out. It's written by Vineyard Music probably 20 years ago now. Yeah, at least 20 years ago now. Time flies. Um, but it's based on various psalms. And in fact, I found a, a link online that showed some of the different psalms that you can find within this worship song. The words go like this. I cry out for your hand of mercy to heal me. I am weak. I need your love to free me. O oh Lord, my rock, my strength and weakness, come rescue me, O oh Lord. You are my hope. Your promise never fails me. And my desire is to follow you forever. For you are good. For you are good. For you are good to me. Is it just me or does that kind of sound just like David's Psalms? It is easy to memorize something set to music, at least for me. And having this song in my head when I'm going through hard times or having other songs that are scripture to music is the easiest way I've found to push out those bad feelings, those emotions that are dark or frustrating, and to focus on God's goodness. 
I know we got through the whole psalm there, but let's look at a few other key takeaways that we learned in this passage. For uh, the first thing I had is, you know, even King David was not exempt from persecution. He was perhaps one of the greatest figures in the Bible. And it wasn't any easier for him than it is for any of us. As we read his honest accounts of struggling in the midst of persecution, he had a hard time. It wasn't like, oh, I'm King David, I'm just, mm, everything's fine, whatever, just brush it off my shoulder. He struggled. He really went through these emotional dark times because of that. So it's important to remember if King David was susceptible to some of the emotions of being persecuted, then we shouldn't feel bad about it. Instead, we should focus on praising God in the midst of it. Number two, throughout the Psalms, uh, David questioned why God let these things happen to him. However, in his questioning, he never stopped lifting up praise in the midst of his trials and persecution. And I think that's incredibly important. We can question God. We just keep our focus on him. You know, 1 Samuel 18.10 gives us some interesting insight to this story as well. And I think it's one last point that's important to remember. In 1 Samuel 18.10, it tells us that God was actually the one who hardened Saul's heart against David. It says, and it happened on the next day, after the uh, crowds saying, you know, David has killed uh, his 10,000, Saul has killed his thousands. The next day, it says, God sent a distressing spirit that came upon Saul. And we actually see that repeated in the book, the book of 1 Samuel many times. Just like God hardened Pharaoh's heart, for some reason, God chose to frustrate Saul. Maybe punishment for his past sins, maybe um, for the sole fact that he knew David needed to go through hard times to become a strong, wise leader. It's so important to understand that God allows these difficult situations in our life because he wants us to learn humility, patience, and trust. So if you're down because you've been going through something hard and somebody's been unfair to you, while it's easy to look at the person causing it and think they're fully to blame, this reminder in 1 Samuel that God actually sent that spirit of distress to Saul is important to remember. God's hand is at work in our lives through the good and through the bad. And he brings some of these hard things to grow us. So instead of looking for the first way out, especially when it comes to revenge or some of the other natural kind of worldly responses to persecution, it's important to take a step back and think, what does God have for me in this? doesn't mean we shouldn't be fighting for justice, um, seeking the right things, especially politically, but to just say, you know what, God, I realize this is no accident. You've got me here for some reason. Through this process, help me to learn and help me to grow and understand. You know, our backward society right now, um, things that are right are considered wrong. Things that are wrong are considered right. I've lost at least one friend over my statements about how I felt about God's truth, about the truth of how he views sexuality, the truth of how he views um, our ability to practice religion freely, because that's not an acceptable thing to talk about in the world. 
We need to be prepared to face growing resentment, growing persecution, even hate because of our biblical views. And to realize it's going to be tough, but God will be with us. I've also seen a lot of people lately turning away from God. And I think the number one reason is because they weren't prepared to stand strong when friends or family, or especially teachers, professors, ridiculed them, labeled them as hypocrites, uh, bigots, or hate mongers because of their faith. So if it is something you haven't struggled with or dealt with, it's coming. And we need to be prepared. You know, David knew who he was in Christ. He knew the truths about how God saw him. And although he struggled with emotions of being unjustly accused and attacked, he gained experience fighting for what was right, despite what others said. And eventually, he went on to become the strongest humanly example of a leader in the Bible. When you feel overwhelmed by the lies of the world, remember to preach the truths of God to yourself by reviewing scripture, such as this psalm by meditating on verses about God's truth, and by singing praise songs in your head. Or out loud if you feel like it, if you're like Johnny. You know, in closing, I wanted to share a similar passage. This is the other thing I think I've always gone to in my life when I was struggling with these feelings. If you want to flip over with me to Romans chapter 8, 33 through 39. I just can't help but hearing the echo of David's words as Paul tells us about having strength. So Romans 8, verse 33. Who will bring a charge against God's elect? God is the one who justifies. Who is the one who condemns? Christ Jesus is he who died. Yes, rather, he who was raised, who was at the right hand of God, who also intercedes for us. A strong reminder. Verse 35, who will separate us from the love of Christ? Will tribulation or distress, or get this, persecution, or famine, or nakedness, or peril, or sword? Just as it was written, for your sake we are being put to death all day long. We were considered as sheep to be slaughtered. But in all these things, we overwhelmingly conquer through him who loved us. For I am convinced that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor principalities, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor any other created thing will be able to separate us from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. 38 and 39 are some of the strongest words that I've found for reading in addition to the Psalms of David. There's actually a lot of songs that have been set to this, uh, this verse. And if it's one that you don't have committed to memory, um, I literally went on YouTube and just searched uh, Romans 8, 38 song. And there's like 15 different videos, different songs that people have put together to remember it. My favorite one is by a guy named Joel Weldon. Um, he wrote a worship song. You might have even sung it if you were... Uh, growing up in the 80s like I was, but uh, 80s and not early 90s. Uh, don't want to rate myself too old here. It just has stuck with me throughout life that I'm convinced neither death nor life nor angels nor principalities 
nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor any other created thing will be able to separate us from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. Ultimately, the question is, what can man do to me? What's the most man can do to me with their words, or even in David's um, example, the threat of death? Can anything separate us from the love of God? That is the most important. Even if our time on earth is cut short, and that's God's plan, that's not going to separate us from the love of God. And why is that possible? What are the last words of this verse? Because it is in Christ Jesus our Lord. If you don't have that assurance of being secure in Christ, God might be calling you to that this morning. If you can't say with certainty that even death could not separate you from the love of God. Surrender your heart. Ask him into your life. And you're welcome to talk to me or to Pastor Craig or Bob or anybody else about what it means to accept Christ in your life. Because that is the ultimate promise, that nothing will separate us. Would you bow your heads and pray with me? Lord, I thank you so much that as a child, as a young person in my life, I had these psalms to turn to. I thank you that David, despite his humanness, despite his mistakes and sins in his life, God, he strove to follow you. He strove to trust in you and to not forget your promises. And may we use that as a guideline in our lives, God, when we're going through hard times or when we're going through unjust treatment or persecution. Give us the hope and the faith to preach these truths to ourselves day in and day out, even if it's by singing your word. And help us to not lose faith. In your name we pray this morning. Amen. Would you please stand as we close in a song of response? Messages from thee filled with love.
my heart it is thine own it shall be thy royal throne it shall be thy royal throne today the baptism is kind of a neat reminder of the whole point of trusting God through persecution. God calls us not to do this magical ceremony or, or something that is religious in nature, but to actually stand up and say, I'm willing to be seen as a Christian. I'm not going to hide my light. I'm not going to play it safe. I'm actually willing to be public to show people I am a follower of Christ. So if you get to come today, um, I think you'll really be blessed by that. And I just, I, I love the fact that that's happening today after talking about persecution. Let's pray. Father, thank you for our time this morning, and thank you for your blessings in our lives. Um, we know that nothing will separate us from your love. And God, no matter how much we struggle, no matter how much we feel oppressed in this world, your love is the one thing that we have, your love that sent you to die on the cross for us and save us. We just thank you for that truth, and we pray this in your name, Jesus. Amen.